because this is apparently like the life of the ages. And Jesus invites his disciples and thus invites us to demonstrate and like announce his way. As soon as we bring ourselves into it and we go, I'm going to go and help sick people. I came for the sick people. Then immediately I think we get self-conscious because we go, am I calling everybody sick? And now I'm like the problem. And this all, right, trickles down into this big bad word that begins with the letter E. Can anyone guess the word I'm going to use? Anyone? You follow me? No? That's okay. Evangelism. It's like, like telling other people about like health. When Jesus is the one doing it and going to whatever those people are that are okay to call sick. But then as soon as we go, I, I, I'm supposed to join him. A central part of what it means to be me and alive and breathing right now is to go to the sick and provide healing and point people to the way of Jesus. We go, yeah, no. Does that resonate with anyone else other than the evangelists in the room? <laughs> anyone else feel that tension? Uh, there's a study recently, millennials, um, who we love, right? Give it up for any millennials in the room. Our whole church. Um, <laughs> just kidding. I see you, Gen Xers. I see you, boomers. Gen Z, where are the Gen Zs at? Anyone have no idea what generation they are? <laughs> Half of millennial Christians in a recent Barnes study say it's wrong to evangelize. Half. It's wrong to tell other people what you believe. It's wrong to do that. It's wrong. Everything that would come with evangelism. And yet, uh, what we love about Jesus is he tries to reach people and he tries to persuade people. And we really hate this word, but he tries to convert people. No, not to a religion, but he's trying to help show them God. I've come to you. I've got living water. I got some bread. Like, come on. What you did, like the, even the woman at the well, many of us who know that story, we love that story. Look, an ostracized woman that nobody else wanted. That's my Jesus. And then we leave out the part at the end where he's like, repent and don't do any of this stuff anymore. Like, come, repent. It's the turning of your mind and the turning of your direction back to the way of Jesus. We love, we love, I think for the most part, we love that Jesus tried to persuade people and tries to reach out to people. And sinners, we know, if you've spent some time in the New Testament, the sinners, those called sinners, love Jesus. They like spending time with him. They love that he cares enough to say, let me show you some life. Isn't that interesting? Sinners loved the change that Jesus offered. Now, what's interesting about this Barnapol is that 96% of millennials say the best thing that could happen to someone is they would meet Jesus. I'm not being like a jerk. I just, what's going on? Like, what's the disconnect there? Any ideas? Why, why there'd be a, a, a young group of, not really young anymore. Sorry, millennials. Why, uh, uh, amongst Christians, why a passion, like, like a desire, like the best thing that could happen to somebody would be they would come to know Jesus. Again, this is amongst Christians. But yet, about half of them go, yeah, don't, don't go around sharing that. 
if you're around somebody that you know, no pressure, don't pressure anybody, we just talk for just one minute. Like, try to come up with an idea. Why? Why? Would you turn to the person next to you? Why do you think that? Why do you think that reality exists? If the person around you is giving you the cold shoulder, don't pressure them. Hmm. So we're going to come back to this question. Why is there a disconnect? What is it about our current moment that makes it feels like it's hard to participate in Jesus' words? But I want to begin with answering that question by starting with this, maybe a different uh, and a little addendum to the title. Is I, I see sick people, right? Is the name of the sermon, I see sick people? <laughs> And, and the person's me. So maybe it's, I see a sick person. Didn't think that titling through very much. I see a sick person. I see sick people. I see sick person, that person's me. Like, let's start with the sickness in our heart, because this is where Jesus, you could make an argument, is actually starting here. Jesus is talking to the religious elite who have quarantined themselves from a group of people. And we've talked a lot about this in different series over the last six months. But these two groups come up again and again, tax collectors and sinners. And these religious people don't want anything to do with them for a number of reasons. A lot of it is really like if, if we, these folks that don't, follow Torah, that don't follow Torah exactly the way we say to follow Torah, which is the, the, like the word of God. There's this, there's this desire that God might come back. Things might be better if only we push these folks that in their minds were deeply compromised off to the side. Pushing them to the side. And so what happens in that is they don't see themselves as culpable in the brokenness around them. There's a lot more happening in that context, but I just want to just land there for the sake of our time this morning. They don't see themselves as culpable in the brokenness of culture. We say a lot around sanctuary, that the culture of your heart, like what's happening in your heart, what's happening in your private life, like the temptations and ill in your own life, like they, they affect, and we kind of know this, obviously, your, 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 your marriage, they, they, they affect your, your, your kids, they also affect your friends, and they, they begin to affect your, your hunger. They affect how you lead and what you're called to do and how you lead and how you participate. And they actually begin, if you follow the thread out far enough, the culture of your heart affects the culture of our, of our city. A deep, deep problem, in my humble opinion, is you have a bunch of people right now culturally who are pointing fingers at everybody else who is doing everything wrong, and there is not enough this. There's just not enough of I am culpable. I participate in this. This is why for some people they have such a hard time understanding things like, like systemic issues, systemic racism. Like they have, it's, a, it's hard because it's, you don't see yourself as a part of it because you're not like in a, in a you know, in that case, like I'm not a, I'm not a racist. I'm not, it's, not, it's not like crystal clear what I've done. I'm not walking around with like a white hood on. I have friends of a different ethnicity, so thus I am not racist. And we fail to see our participation or even generational participation 
in a system that is set up in a particular way. And so whatever your political thoughts, however you parse that out, we don't see ourselves as like a, a larger family, as a community that is actually interlocking. And in Rhode Island, I would argue, it's even worse. Because, and I'll spare you a long Rhode Island history lesson, but our state's like ID, like at its very basic DNA elements of our state is hyper-individualism. Some of that felt really good because it was pushing away from oppression. And some of that, though, has, has began to create a, a toxic culture of separatism. We don't see ourselves as intertwined. But this is something that, it, that goes far beyond our, our, our little state. We don't see ourselves as sick people. And Jesus is saying, I, I almost like where he's going. If I could add some subtext, this is me and not the Lord. But add some subtext to this. You see Jesus almost going like, I am, okay, I, I'm not here for you. Like in this instance, he's not even getting upset with the religious folks that are pushing out these people that they deem unfit. You don't see yourself as part of the problem? Cool, I can't, I literally can't help you if you don't see yourself as, as needing redemption, needing healing, needing freedom. When Paul writes later on in the scriptures, when he's writing a letter to the church in Rome, it's all of sin and fallen short of the glory of God. That, that the Pharisees, the Pharisees, uh, it, it, it seems in this story, have a hard time owning this in some way. Or their particular shade, to be more accurate, their particular shades of sin don't, don't, are, are, don't really matter. They're not really that sick. And so we have to start here. Jesus' point is that he associates with those who are sick because they have the need and will respond to the offer of help. A person who is well or who thinks mistakenly that they are isn't going to seek treatment. That's all. It's about recognizing your need for him. There is an article that came out in the New Yorker the other day about the amount of shows recently that have been um, talking about the afterlife. I, I meant to write them all down. I didn't. But apparently there's like six shows right now that are in primetime television that are all dealing with the afterlife. And the, and the article begins talking to a couple of the producers of these shows. And they're like, why do you think there's this resurgence and, and concern about the afterlife and what it's like and whether you'll go there and, and whether that's even a reality, almost like haven't we graduated from this idea? And one of the producers, I don't know anything about, but just responds super snarkily. And it's, <laughs> at least it feels that way in the written text. And he basically is like, what are you talking about? Like this has been the question from the beginning and I've never sensed that this has gone away at all. Like just as an example, like am I, do, do I need to do anything in preparation for that? What is that actually like? I don't like to talk about that anymore because anybody who gets anywhere close to, would you like to go to heaven when you die? Please say yes to Jesus. And it becomes fire insurance. <laughs> now we push away from that line of thinking for a number of reasons, but it's a part of the conversation. Like what, what in me is broken and not lining up with the life of heaven that will go on forever? Like what in me it is, part, is contributing to the brokenness that we see 
around us? How do I begin to wake up to new and greater and more beautiful healing? I have to begin with this acknowledgement that there is something in me, though I am made in the image of God, that God like saw me in my mother's womb and I'm fearfully and wonderfully made, that I'm bent, broken. It's not, this is the reality of being born into a world where actually our ancestors' decisions matter. So I want to say this before I move on to the question I asked you to discuss. Our church cannot become a hiding place for sinners to pretend they don't need Jesus. Our church can't become that. We cannot grow in our love for God with all of our heart and all of our mind and all of our strength until we tell the truth about our hearts and about our minds and about our strength. This has got to be the beginning of transformation. We can't be like a hideout for people who like pretend we don't need Jesus. And if anything I was reminded of sitting through a marriage conference today and everything I was reminded last week and sitting through a table event, hearing people just be honest about their brokenness and anything I learned today, this week, about sitting down with a friend of mine is that the people who are coming alive the people who are experiencing life and freedom and faith and, dare I say, happiness and joy are the ones who acknowledge their need for Jesus. So let's do that. Let's get better at that. Let us not be so anxious about that in our own hearts. I mentioned this before, and it's worth repeating. I, I had someone... I found this out later who, who, who left our church because they had, they felt, I love this person, but I just, they felt like I just can't, it just feels like for all the, like, for all the things we talk about and all the different subjects, it's just so hard that everything basically lands back with, and so we need Jesus. And I just, I, I just kind of grieved a little. I wasn't like pissed. <laughs> I wasn't mad. I was just kind of sad. Like that's where the life is, in his instruction and in his wisdom and in the freedom we actually find in joining life with him and coming under his rule and reign. Like this, this is how and why we land every message at the communion table. Jesus didn't come to invite people who think they are righteous, but to invite the needy to his family, to his table. This this is what he invites us to. So I, I, then, then let's go back to I see sick people everywhere. <laughs> why this gap? What is happening here? I think first off, why there's a gap between those who would say, yeah, yeah, I, I can acknowledge and I could think one of the best things that could happen to somebody is them coming to Jesus. But I'm definitely not going. I, I think it's, it's even wrong, morally wrong to try to push that on somebody. I think, yes, some people have maybe lost Jesus' heart. They're not willing to go where he calls us to go. But I think a lot of people are overwhelmed by the challenges of our culture to name this. There's so many religious traditions we're exposed to. We wrestle with the issues of science and religion. One writer says, we have complicated ethical questions from bioethics to new forms of human relationships, the continuing struggle to integrate faith and politics, the new opportunities for constructive dialogue, 
uh, between liberals and conservatives within one church, the lived in integration of one's corporate beliefs with one's corporate practice. And then there's just the normal angst in people's hearts, like the Bible, the horrible things the church has done, evil in the world. How do we trust the Bible? I don't know if you're like me. It probably feels like you need a PhD in apologetics and ethics to respond to the questions, like the question of like, I went to church this week. I went to church this week. Ah, oh, cool. And immediately run the defense. Or at least I find some of us maybe are. But it's, we just have to acknowledge that God's heart hasn't changed. Just because we find it difficult to join God in that work of saying, I'm here for the hurting. That hurting starts with me. I know I'm hurt, but I'm here for those that are hurting and that are in need. And so my call is to demonstrate and announce the way of Jesus to them. I think first thing we need to consider is we can't see sick people, um, like view sick people with contempt. Can't view sick people with contempt. And, and just something to, to think about in this regard, like we, we sometimes, um, I, I think we think, uh, we have a hard time separating like criminals versus sick people. <laughs> I'm a friend of mine who, who's in prison right now I, it's so easy for so many people if I were to just give you his rap sheet. They still say that anymore? To give you his, his, all the things that he had done. You completely disconnected. You didn't know I knew him. You didn't know any of his story. You just say, there's a criminal. Maybe at your best, you'll begin to say, oh, there's probably some really bad choices that were made. I'm so sorry. It's really good if you looked at the things that he had done. It's really good that you were locked up. I can say it might be really good that he's locked up. But when we begin to view people, and anyone's done any work in prison ministry, you begin to see, like, actually, there's a lot of sickness here. Here's somebody who's, who, is, who is deeply ill, who has been drug addicted, who's found themselves at the very end over and over and over and found choices that they've made, and they're still their choices, and they're still responsible for them. But you see sickness instead of just criminality. And I think first and foremost, when we talk about this, we have to look out and see people as uh, not, with, not viewing the, the sick or the hurting, not seeing those that are, are doubting and wrestling with any sort of contempt. We have to see them as, as they are, people just like us. C.S. Lewis says, we're beggars telling other beggars where to find bread. Beggars telling other beggars where to find bread. God's heart hasn't changed, and he's inviting us to see the sick people around us. We have to embrace the priority of heaven. This is our call. You are the people that God's entrusted this mission to. So if we see sick people around us with contempt, it's going to be very difficult for us to actually have a call and mission and vision in our heart to go and to try to reach before I go any further, this is not one of those sermons, by the way, is that it's going to just be like, you guys are really, really bad, and you should really try harder. Like around like caring for people. I just want to be really clear. You guys know my heart. That's not the kind of sermon I want to preach. But I, wanna, I, wanna, I do want to like dive into some pieces here. John 9, when Jesus heals the blind man, what does he say? The blind man, once he is healed, Jesus has done this incredible work. The religious people doubt that this actually happened. They're grilling him and asking him question upon question upon question. And the blind man's response is, one of my favorite verses, he's like, guys, I, I don't know what you want from me. I told you that guy, Jesus was the one who did it. You doubt me. You doubt that I was even blind. All this, all I can tell you is that I was blind and now I can see. 
So the first thing I would say is so often when religious people don't see the miracle, like they see, they saw like this scandal that was happening around Sabbath, that when we talk about being a people who go out and care for the, the sick in our world, that so often the, the, the fear that we have that we're not going to be able to explain the way of Jesus and we're not going to be able to bear witness to what's happened in our own heart. I have found over and over that most people aren't coming back with a thousand questions I, I, like they're not coming back with questions about evolution and about sexuality and about how do you trust the Bible first and foremost. There's very few people that are actually rock, walking around like teed up and ready for that fight out of the gate. It's you being able to bear witness to what? I was sick. Now I'm not as sick. I was blind and now I can see. So much of us joining Jesus in the work of that verse. I'm here, not for the healthy, I'm here to seek out and care for and extend healing and love and, 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 and goodness to the sick. So much of that just starts with recognizing and owning your own story. Because as I have often said, if you are not smoking what you are selling... <laughs> When it comes to talking about Jesus, get off the field. Like if, if, if God is a lot, like start, start here first. Like start with, I, I, like start with worship. We start with the goodness of like what God has done in our heart. I can't sing that song that we sang this morning. Like without like going full-throated every time. The, the all my life you have been faithful. The all my life you have been so, so good. I, I feel like every time I sing that line at that pitch, I see my whole life for a quick moment. Anyone else have that happen to them? Like I see every way I actually have been healed, set free. God's mercy was extended to me. I didn't deserve that. Every way I've been empowered, recognized my call, had a chance to lean into it and live an incredible life of blessing. Like I see, I, 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 I swear every time I just get a little like your whole life. And when that is what's stirring in your heart, when that's the flame, well then going and, and, and caring for the sick, don't be fearful. Don't hold back. Don't be one of the 50% of millennials that say, I, I don't do that though. Because I think there's a lot of cultural fear that you're going to have to answer a thousand questions because Christianity has been marginalized because we've got a bunch of numbskulls out there in politics. Amen. I was blind. Now I can see. I was blind. Now, I don't know what to tell you. My favorite line then is the, the blind man goes in John 9. He goes, do you want to join him too? You keep asking questions. He's just like bright-eyed and bushy-tailed. It's like, I, you, want, you want to go? Come on. You guys got a lot of questions. I bet he could answer them. <laughs> and begin to lead people to the, to, to, to the water. I got to go quicker than this. John 4. <laughs> I haven't preached in three weeks. I got two more hours left. John 4, you've got the story of the woman at the well. Jesus is embracing scandal again. 
This woman is the outcast of all the outcasts, and she wants living water. And when she is, when she, when she is met and Jesus like speaks into her life, she says, come and see. Come and see a man who told me everything I ever did. Has anyone of you had a moment with Jesus where you feel like he just like told you everything you ever did? That sounds really weird, like you know what you did. But you've ever had that like reflected back to you in prayer? You're praying and you're just like, oh my gosh, I am now thinking of everything that I have done this week. I'm thinking of these poor choices. I'm thinking of the way I was not loved. And it doesn't come like guilt. Like if it's guilt, right, it's, that, that's like so much of, or if it's shame, it's you. But it comes with the sense of like, oh, I am out of line. And then all of a sudden you see these things begin to well up in your life. And then you experience that forgiveness, that moment of grace. She's experienced this. And then she goes and she says, you guys got to come. She goes from like ostracized person who doesn't know anything about Jesus, engage, engages in this really interesting debate for a moment, is totally blown away by what Jesus does and how Jesus sees her and cares for her and, and, and the way Jesus rebukes the religious folks who are ready to come after her. And then she immediately turns into an evangelist. My friend Jill, this was her story. She has this unbelievable moment of coming to Jesus. She's in a sorority, um, the sorority system down at University of Rhode Island. And uh, I, I begin to, like, hearing her story, uh, which is one of these amazing things, watching her bring um, sorority sister after sorority sister after sorority sister to our, like, Christian college chapter that was happening on campus. Like, she had no idea what she was talking about. Like, she definitely didn't fully understand the kind of all the intricacies of the way of Jesus or even a lot of the basics. If you were to talk to her, you'd just be like, probably not the world's first candidate for evangelism. Sorry, Jill, if you're listening. I love you. She was just somebody who, overwhelmed by the person of Jesus, just like, guys, you, you got... That's literally how she sounds. <laughs> guys, you got it. You just come. And all of the men at that Christian chapter were forever grateful. Um, but... <laughs> You saw people come to Jesus. She immediately was like, come and see. Come and see. Come and see. I just mentioned this because 63% of people are willing to come to church if someone invites them. 63% is the most conservative of the polls. To, to invite people to a gathering like this or to a home group, something like that. Um, and, and look, when we think about overcoming this fear that we have of engaging people, I mean, anyone ever asked somebody out on a date and you got turned down? Can I see real quick? Have you ever asked somebody out and you got turned down? This includes prom date, homecoming. Yeah. Did you stop asking after that? I don't mean that person. Hopefully you stopped asking that person. <laughs> Did you stop asking after that? Did anyone just like, I'm done? If so, there's going to be some like healing prayer happening after. We're going to get you back in the game. <laughs> but, but no, just, just keep, just, it's okay to ask. I've said this before. I hope this doesn't sound too rudimentary, but I, I, this church should double next week after this sermon. And you know us, we're, we're not about like making Sunday gathering the end all be all of our church, but like, just come next week. We're going to have baptisms. I'm going to give a really like simple message that will make sense for a lot of people who are coming through the door. Like why wouldn't this church just, just quickly double? Just invite, invite somebody. And, and if they're not, they're not okay with it, they're like, ah, yeah, it's not my thing. Oh, that's cool. You should come to, whatever, come to dinner sometime. 
I'm telling you, it's going to be cool. My pastor's going to be talking about this thing. You're going to see some of my friends who are going to get dunked in some water. I know it sounds weird. Maybe they don't leave with that. But just invite people. 63% conservative, conservative number. They'll say, yeah. What'd you do this weekend? I dare you, when you go into work or go into class on Monday, when every single person asks, what'd you do this weekend? You say, I did dink, 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 and I went to church. It was great. It's awesome. A pastor talked about how you're sick. <laughs> All right, last little example. Paul at a place called Mars Hill. He goes into the marketplace. He talks to people about Jesus. He goes to cultural elites and welcomes them in. He uses their poetry. He uses their snippets of their faith. He starts with where they are. He helps connect the dots. And because he's one of them, he's an intellectual, he gets them. And so he is able to have that conversation and meet people where they are. How do we enter in to our world and look around at the folks who are open and say, I want to, I'm, I'm as jacked up as you are, man. I'm telling you, like just bear witness to the little things that's happened. I'm so, I'm freer from anxiety than I've ever been. I can't explain it. The way I like manage my money has changed so much in this regard. Just things that people even grab onto. Again, don't make something up. If it's not happening in your life, then like, then you have a different thing to talk about. I see sick people. <laughs> I see a sick person. I have a conviction based on a verse in Acts, that you were born at a time in history, this time in history, because you are the best person in all of history to reach the people that you are around. He has made you for this moment. He has appointed you for this time to join him. I came for the sick. This to me has always been a passage about time and prioritization. This is how I've always read it. Who are you spending your time with? What are you doing with that time? This is sort of the verse that frames our mission and our heart as a church. Who am I here for? What am I up to? Life is not just about me. I saw a post the other day that was the equivalent of sort of like, if, if, if there's anything out there that robs you of any bit of peace, it's too expensive. Gosh. Nah. Like there's a greater peace than just the little small things that would knock us off. We are being invited to lay our life down for the people around us, from the poor and the hurting and the oppressed. And if you're a Christian, that's why you're here. When we talk about living life to the full, when we talk about the best is yet to come, when we talk about being people of hope, in large part, this is what we're talking about. There is a mission before us, and it doesn't fall on us, but we are invited to join God in putting the world back together. And so we find our places and our sphere of influence and how we're called to step into that. And we go recognizing that even like women at the well who are ostracized and pushed aside by culture and knew nothing of Jesus can all of a sudden turn into full-fledged evangelists. The people who are blind can all of a sudden bear witness to their sight. 
This is why people who are in like addiction recovery are so often some of the most powerful agents of the kingdom. Right? This is happening at Sanctuary North in droves. A huge recovery community is connected over there. And, and Pastor Rick is just like, every week, they're just bring more people, more people, more people, because those people know they need Jesus. And be, because they're in it already. And they care so much because they recognize their need. They see the sickness around them. My favorite story is a friend of mine who's a lawyer, right? Like the opposite of sometimes what we think about in addiction recovery. In this high-end law firm. And she began to take on the mindset that Jesus, I think, introduces to us of like, I see sick people. And so she began to see right, a different sort of sickness that existed. This, this idolatry of achievement. Men and women not getting home to their kids. People's whole lives being wrapped up in things that were just didn't matter, right? A different sort of sickness and a different sort of addiction and a different sort of death that was happening there. And when she began to take that on, it was going in early. It was praying over her office space. It was asking God for opportunities to share what was happening in her heart. Then it was inviting people over to dinner. Why? Because she's trying to convert people and fulfill some weird spiritual quota that her pastor told us about? No, because she cared. Because she had the heart of God, which is I so love the world that I came. I so love you that I want to lay down my life, that I want to serve you, that I want to bless you, that I want to show you what life could be like. And I'm one of you, so I know how to do it. You don't need like an apologetics course. Like, I, mean, I think about this, the friends of St. Martin's who are dialed into the art community. Like, you're photographers and videographers and you know your people. And so, so I'm watching them just exemplify this. Like, yeah, this is just, you should come to church. I swear, every single time I'm around Evan, I hope you're not just doing it because I'm nearby. Like, I've seen you just be like, oh, yeah, dude, this is my pastor. You know what I mean? It's pretty cool. You should just come. I just met the guy. <laughs> like, like there's all, you already have so many currency, so much currency with your people. And so I, I say all this because <laughs> we have to be folks that have that sort of vision. Like, we see the sickness in our own heart. We recognize the sickness in our world and our need for a savior. This verse, I didn't come for the sick. I'm sorry, didn't come for the healthy, but I came for the sick. Frames our mission, frames our heart, frames our heart. Because it talks about our inward direction. I said, we need healing and wholeness. It frames our outward direction. This is the mission, to go out into the, all the world, demonstrating the goodness of the kingdom, announcing the goodness of our Lord. And we know that we do this together as a community, our withward direction. And all of this comes from our deepening understanding of the love and power of God. Two weeks ago, my, uh, there was a, a sermon on the passage right before this. And it's these, these gentlemen who have a sick friend and they will do whatever it takes to get their sick friend to Jesus. There's a, there's a, what'd you say? 
got a desperation, a, a passion, a clarity of mission. Friend sick must find Jesus. Culture hurting must, must, must get them to Jesus. They, they were under no illusion that they were the ones that could save their friend. But they showed unbelievable love and unbelievable hospitality. Unbelievable passion to their friend. Hey, we're going to get you there. And so there's a room packed with people. They can't get in. And so they cut a hole in the roof and they drop their friend on down. I know in your heart you want to be this kind of person. I know in your heart that you want to announce that I was blind and now I can see. I know in your heart you want to warn people about the, the life of death. I know in your heart you want to make space for people to come into your home and to experience the love and hospitality of God. I know in your heart you want to see miracles unleashed in your friends' lives. I know in your heart, I know in your heart you want to leave the 99 to go after the one. Less than 3% of people in this city consider themselves active followers of Jesus. That number's higher than it was four years ago. There are still 96, 97% of people in this city. I think God might be inviting you to, uh, to, to go after. Jesus Christ, Son of God, have mercy on us. Mercy on us for hoarding what we have. Mercy on us for being too busy to care and to see the hurting around us. To see the lost and the lonely. Mercy on us, Lord, not being able to see the lonely right in front of us. Even in our own community, there are those that feel lost and lonely, Lord. And so we don't take on our backs guilt or shame. We take on our backs, Lord. Um, <laughs> we just pick up our cross. We die to ourselves all over again and say, Lord, lead the way. And so my prayer simply for, for, the, for all of us today is that we would see, I don't know, like, We would just see what you're what you're doing. You would reveal even right now, Lord, just names, people. You're inviting us to love and to care for and to reach out to you. Knowing that you go before us and you are the one, Lord, who does the convincing and changing. And we just get to join you, anxious free, guilt-free, just to say, yeah, yeah, God, I, I'm I'm ready. I'm ready to follow you into the world, to join with you, to be a people this week in a way I have not been before.
Lord Jesus, I pray that as we all come to the table right now, as we come and take the bread and we dip it in the cup, as we come and are reminded of your love and grace and peace and forgiveness for us sick people, that we would find ourselves caught up in the very mission that presents itself right there at that table. The mission of being a body that breaks itself open, a church, a family, a community, a crew that breaks itself open and pours itself out. We say that all the time, Lord, but we wanna like embody it in a new way today to break ourselves open and pour ourselves out for, what do we say? The healing of our world. Because it's sick, there's so much sickness. And so with no contempt in our heart, with no looking down, Lord, we want, we are for them. We are coming as other broken people, as other sick people who just happen to know where the well is, who know where the bread is, who know where the sandwiches are, who know where the bus pass is, <laughs> who know where the freedom is. And so with new resolve in our heart, Lord, I pray even as we sing, you would remind us of how dearly loved we are Lord, I'm asking for myself, would you remind me all over again of how deeply loved I am? Would you remind me of what you have pulled me from, what you are continuing to pull me from? And would you renew in me a passion, God, a passion for those around me? That it would be said about our church, those people care. They're not patronizing. They don't think they're better than anyone. They care. They care. They want to love. They're the first people we call. Lord, would you stir our hearts? Would this be a day that things change in the life of our church? Where there is new resolve. Like, I'm not kind of, I don't know, God. It, I don't know what you're doing in people's hearts or how what things are primed in our city, Lord. But if be your will, would this room actually double next week? with full faith, like, like we believe that. Or would, would home groups like double? Would schedules just fill a tiny bit more because there's a little more time like inviting people over to dinner. The alpha groups fill. God, I pray that outposts would be started, like new ways that people are joining you in mission. God, I pray for my brothers and sisters who are in finance right now. God, and I ask that we would see churches started in those rooms, in those high rises, Lord. Prayer groups, the Bible studies, the outreach would begin to happen, Lord. I pray over Brown University and Johnson and Wales and Rhode Island College and Providence College, URI, Roger Williams, and some other school I'm going to leave out. Lord, I pray that we would see more and more churches, like expressions of the church, Lord, begin. Outposts of our, of our church, Lord. Home churches start. That right now there would be resolve in our heart to join you, Lord, to join you, to join you, to join you. In Christ's name, everyone said, amen. So we're gonna take communion to close. I don't want to give an invite because there are some folks, my guests is in this room, who maybe, maybe for the first time, um, 
God has pricked something in you and you've recognized your own sickness, your own need for him. So don't let this moment go by. Don't. Come up, line up in this line. You can even just skip over communion and go and say, I would like to say yes to the way of Jesus. One writer said, all you just need to do is believe that he's king. Believe that he died on the cross for your sins. Believe that he rose again. Like, like, just begin to trust that Jesus is the way. Begin to say yes to that grace that you have been rescued and saved. There's nothing you could do to earn it. That he loves you as he finds you, that you are loved and known. Like all of that, if there's something stirring in your heart and you're like, I want to say yes to the way of Jesus. Like as you come up, just slip into that line and go and just say, I want to say yes and someone will help lead you on that path. For other folks, if you just want to be prayed for, you want to be commissioned, like maybe you just, you have something, an idea in your heart right now, like I want to start something. I want to start something. Tell us. We literally have a pathway all set up. We have coaching and money and facilities to give you. Like they're all prepared. We want to give you money or resources or coaching or whatever you need to help you start an outpost of, of the kingdom. Take a moment, maybe even before you come to the table and write down the names of folks you're feeling called. And if you're here in this room and you're not ready to say yes to Jesus, and so you're definitely not trying to start something to go talk to other people about Jesus, I pray so much that in this moment as the band sings, we close our time together, man, that you would just experience. I trust that if you have an open heart right now, you will experience his love in a brand new way. You might experience and become to know something more about the God who comes after you, loves you, and who cares for you. So, as you feel that, would you stand? And would you come forward to take communion? Or if you need to sit, stay seated. And if you need to come be prayed for, come be prayed for. But let's close our time right now, these last five minutes together, and let's engage. All right? We good? Are we good? Come on.